Chapter 6 The room that Link entered was dimly lit by paper lanterns hanging from the ceiling support beams. The walls were adorned with various paintings and tapestries, many of which featured the ancient Sheikah eye. Down the center of the room was a long, dark blue rug, and small square pillows lined it on either side, forming neat rows that all seemed to face the central dais, which was situated at the opposite end of the room. The Sheikah elder sat upon a stack of pillows on this dais, underneath a large brass eye hanging from the ceiling. He slowly stepped forward, noticing that the younger woman, who had long white hair, pulled up into a heart-shaped topknot, while the rest flowed down around her shoulders, stood off to the side of the dais. Her hands were clasped anxiously. She seemed to be studiously avoiding looking at him, but he saw her sneaking a quick glance before averting her eyes again. He slowly approached the old woman, whom he assumed was Impa that he sought. She looked ancient. Her face and hands, the only parts of her body visible to Link under her traditional Sheikah garb, were heavily wrinkled and showed multiple age spots, and she had walked with a bow to her back, leaning heavily on her cane. So, Impa said, her lips curling into a smile that revealed several missing teeth. She looked up at Link, fixing him with kindly gray eyes. You're finally awake. He was able to see the purple Sheikah eye tattooed on her forehead now. It has been quite some time, Link. Hearing his name again sent his heart racing, again driving home the truth of everything he'd been told by the king and princess. He was Link, and he had a purpose set before him, so vast that he couldn't even begin to fathom being successful in it. He wished he had taken more time to prepare himself for this meeting. Finally, he hesitantly approached and knelt on the ground before her so that he could look into her eyes better, which made her smile wider, the wrinkles, and her eyes becoming more pronounced. You are... Impa? He said, his voice soft. Her smile faded some. I am much older now, of course, but... She gave him a piercing look. Do you remember me? Link's eyes fell to the ground, and he gave a small shake of his head. Impa sighed softly, her eyebrows kneaded together in a frown. Do you have any memories of before? He grimaced, and began to shake his head again, before looking down at his clenched fists. It feels as though my body remembers. The sword feels natural in my hand, when I fight. He trailed off, thinking of the way he dealt out death with apparent ease. But I have no memories of before. That may perhaps be a blessing in disguise. He looked back up at her in surprise. I'm not sure that many people would like to remember the moment of their death. Link felt a chill run down his spine. I died? No, but close enough to it, she said. You defended Princess Zelda until you could stand no longer. After that, she used her holy powers to protect you long enough to have you placed in a sacred chamber. Shrine of Resurrection? Yes. 
So you know what that is, then? Good. After you were placed in the shrine, she went alone to face Ganon. Before she went, however, the princess entrusted me with the task of guiding you when you woke. She had, has, a plan to defeat Ganon, and she believed that you will play a critical role in that plan. I have been waiting one hundred years, Link. One hundred years, and I have kept the princess' message, telling no one of her intent, lest we lose the element of surprise. You... you told me, Grandmother. The younger woman piped up, her voice trembled, as if she was nervous to speak. But yes, I told you and your mother before you, child, Impa said, exasperation bleeding into her voice. I would not risk losing such important information when the future of Hyrule depends on it, but I have kept it within our family. Now, go. I wish to speak to Link alone. The younger woman blushed furiously and stammered. I... I thought that I would... Right. She quickly turned and hurried away. Link noted that she did not go outside, though, but instead hurried up the stairs besides the central dais. Now, where was I? My old memory just isn't what it used to be, Impa said. When Link looked at her, a little startled by this revelation, she grinned. That grin faded after a moment, and her expression became grave. Before I go any further, I know that you must have many questions, and you are likely not at all sure of your place in all of this. It does not give me any pleasure to admit to you that I am about to place more burden upon your shoulders. If you wish to rest after your journey, this can wait until morning. I have already waited one hundred years after all. What is one more night? Ling considered this offer, glancing down at the blue patterned carpet. He saw that it was stylized with the Sheikah eye, though the eyes were more diamond-shaped than the others he'd seen. Finally, he looked up. I met King Rome on the Great Plateau. Impa's eyes widened. He asked me to save his daughter. And is that your intent? I... Yes. I was... M. Her appointed knight. It's my duty. Impa smiled warmly and slapped her knees. Not a memory to your name, yet you are as intent as ever to charge forward with only courage and duty on your side. You have not changed a bit, young man. Once a hero, always a hero, it seems. He felt his face flush. He certainly did not feel like a hero. He had to do this. He felt he owed a debt. The princess had apparently saved his life after all. How could he not try to save hers in return, even if deep down he feared that it would be a fruitless gesture? Very well, Impa said, growing serious once again. Why don't you tell me what the old king told you, and I will do what I can to fill in the gaps. Then we shall discuss the princess's task and trust to you, and you alone. Link recounted the tale given to him by King Rome, and Impa nodded thoughtfully before telling her own version of the events in a much more practiced air than the king used. She told him of the countless times throughout history that Ganon had been revived or broken free of his bonds, and the equal number of times that the princess who carried the blood of the goddess and the hero, wielding a powerful sword of legend, fought back against Ganon, sealing him once again. She revealed a tapestry on the wall behind her. It showed a creature not unlike the beast that flew around Hyrule Castle, 
surrounded on either side by a man wielding a blue sword and a woman dressed in yellow, as well as hundreds of what appeared to be guardians. In each of the four corners was another creature, each shaped like a different animal. An eagle, a salamander, an elephant, and a camel. And riding each of these animals was another being, indistinct in its features. She told him of the conflict against Ganon 10,000 years prior, when her ancestors, at the peak of their advanced technology, had created the Guardians and the four divine beasts. The Guardians had protected the hero and princess, while the four divine beasts attacked Ganon, weakening him greatly. The hero struck Ganon down, and the princess, using her goddess powers, sealed Ganon away again. One hundred years ago, Impa continued, her voice softening, we strove to follow in our ancestors' wake. A prophecy foretold the return of Ganon, so we sought out the guardians and the divine beasts of old. We spent years researching and planning, yet, despite it all, we underestimated Ganon's power and cunning. Link knew what had come next. Ganon had taken control of the divine beasts and the guardians, turning them against him and Princess Zelda, and massacring the citizens of Hyrule along the way. If Ganon is so powerful, how am I supposed to defeat him? That is where the princess plan comes into play, Impa said, her eyes narrowing some. Princess Zelda believes that it might still be possible to free the divine beasts from Ganon's control. Link's heart began to sink as she continued. So, her final wish before leaving to seal Ganon was for you, when you awoke, to go to the divine beasts and free them of Ganon's malice. I see. It would be ill-advised to try to face Ganon now as you are, without the Master Sword, and without the assistance of the Divine Beasts. It has already proven ready for such an attack, and I fear it will just turn all of his machines against you again if you try." Impa frowned, and seemed to take pity on him, her voice softening. I am not sure what the Princess saw when her powers awakened. She seemed to be more aware of what had happened. I believe that the goddess revealed some things to her. Perhaps she could even see the future. Whatever she saw, she believed in you, Link. She believed that you would be able to cleanse the divine beasts and restore them to their original functionality. Link remained silent, considering this. Perhaps the princess had believed him capable. But could she have known he would lose his memories in the process? Oh, she knew that it was a possibility, Link, Impa said after he brought this concern up to her. She slowly rose from her pillow seat, making her way down off the dais with careful steps. She walked to Link's kneeling form and placed a hand against his shoulder. And she hoped that you would eventually recover your memories. But even without your memories, she still believed that you would be our best hope to defeat Ganon once and for all. But why? Why me? Why was I chosen? Because you are the only one who can. He fell silent once again, disturbed by that statement. If he was the only hope for Hyrule, then he feared the nation was doomed indeed. Princess Zelda hoped that the images that she left on the Sheikah Slate might help you recall some of your memories. Have you had a chance to look at them yet? He frowned with the old woman. Images? He reached down to his belt, unhooking the Sheikah Slate. He held it out to Impa at her insistence, who took it and frowned, her finger tapping the screen. Don't hit the blue one, 
Link warned, suddenly worried that she might destroy her house by accident. Impa glanced at him. One eyebrow quirked curiously. After a moment, though, she frowned and looked back down at the Sheikah slate. The camera is not here. I don't understand. When she used this, it and the map were the only runes available. Now there are many more runes, and yet, no. She glanced and looked at Link. I used it to activate the Sheikah Tower, and those appeared. She considered this information for a time, before nodding slowly. Perhaps my sister Pura might be of some assistance. Her fingers flicked across the screen rapidly until finally, she turned it around to show him. It showed the map, and he could clearly see the icon that indicated his current location. Impa had added another marker, however, some distance away to the southeast. It was probably at least a day or two's journey, by his estimation, though his understanding of the map's scale wasn't exact. Para lives here, in Hatano village. She's dedicated her life to studying ancient Sheikah technology, the Sheikah Slate and its runes in particular, and it is possible that she may be able to restore some additional functionality to your Sheikah Slate. He took the Sheikah Slate from Impa, frowning down at the blinking yellow icon that she had added. Wouldn't it be better for me to start towards the Divine Beasts? She smiled faintly and placed her hand on the Sheikah Slate. Link, this device is a treasure and will likely be a valuable tool for you on your journey. And I happen to know that, in this device, the princess worked to ensure you would have a place to start from when recovering your memories. If you wish to continue on towards the nearest Divine Beast, I will not stop you. I might even commend you for your dedication. But we need to do everything we can to be prepared. Repairing this Sheikah Slate could ultimately prove invaluable. Impa paused, considering. Besides, it may be good for you to visit Hatano Village anyway. He gazed at her for several moments, but she did not elaborate further. He looked back at the yellow dot on his map and finally nodded. He stood, clipping the Sheikah Slate to his belt. I'll go there first, then. I don't mean start towards the village now, you foolish boy, she exclaimed, eyes widening. By the gods above, you look like you're about to fall over where you stand. Honestly, one hundred years and you haven't changed in the slightest. I'd like to think I've gotten wiser with my years. Impa took his arm and pulled him back down in a seated position. Paya, I know you're listening up there. Make us some tea. It's not Gerudo tea, is it? Link said, feeling a sudden rush of heat in the back of his throat. Impa gave him a strange look before shaking her head. No. Now, tell me all that has happened to you since you woke. The next morning, Link emerged from the village inn, feeling far more refreshed than he had the day before. With some help from Kato, he had been able to bathe, and Kato allowed him to wear one of his Sheikah robes after the bath, while Paya had been instructed to wash his clothing. He had tied his hair back onto a tail with some blue twine, leaving his bangs to hang down, framing his face. His wounds sustained during his battles had been inspected by a man that claimed to be the village healer. His form had been covered with some foul-smelling salve, then was wrapped in a new piece of cloth. His new horse had been cared for, fed and watered while he was speaking with Impa. When he walked out of the inn, he found himself feeling strangely content as he observed the bustle of the busy farming village. A young boy hurried by, carting manure in a wheelbarrow, and up the hill an ox bayed as it pulled a plow across a field. A young Sheikah child, a little girl, ran past Link, laughing and calling for her sister to catch her. 
another child a few years older and presumably her sister chased after her. As I glanced around, he spotted the town's Fletcher, a woman in her middle years, standing near the doorway of the building next door. She smiled warmly at him and winked. Link cleared his throat, turning away quickly. He saw Telma busying herself with her cart, tying supplies down. From what he could see, it looked as though she'd done fairly well in selling through many of the supplies she'd brought, as well as picking up plenty of new wares to sell elsewhere. When she saw him approaching, she stood up straight and smiled broadly at him. Link, I'm glad you're here. I have some things to give you. She got down from her cart and waved him over. I never really thanked you properly for saving my life back there, so I found some things that I thought you might need on your journey. She had gathered a small pile of supplies, laying them out in a line on the back of her cart. His eyes widened as he took in what lay before him. There was a new tunic, red with white and green accents, along with several long-sleeved shirts. He also saw new tan trousers and a pair of boots and stockings, along with a dark blue hood and a short cape. She also found various pieces of leather armor, a pair of leather van braces, a shoulder guard, and a chest guard. Amazingly, there was a bow in the style wielded by the Sheikah, and a quiver full of arrows. Finally, rounding out the treasure trove of gifts was a new wooden shield, emblazoned with the Sheikah eye. Telma, you didn't... This is too much. He looked at her, eyes wide. She snorted and placed a hand on his shoulder. If you hadn't been there, I would have never survived that journey. You saved my life. And besides, from what I've heard since arriving here, you may say all of our lives again by the end of your journey. She squeezed his shoulder tightly. This is the least I can do. I wish I could do even more. I... He felt a lump form in his throat, feeling suddenly overwhelmed. Did she truly think he could save Hyrule? He barely survived against four bow goblins. How was he supposed to destroy Ganon? He did not correct her, however, and finally nodded. Thank you. Oh, I traded that other horse. I didn't think you would mind. She nodded towards the small stable, where Spirit was being saddled with a new saddle and bridle. I was able to get some new traveling gear and provisions for you. Link saw that Spirit's saddle now had full saddlebags, with cooking supplies and a bedroll tied down. Before he could formulate another response, she drew Link into a tight embrace. I'm going to be heading back out of the village within the hour. Would you like to travel back with me? I spoke to Impa, and she told me that she would be heading east to Hatana. So you'll be heading the same direction? Yes, of course. Link cleared his throat and nodded again. <clears throat> I'll, I'll get things ready. An hour later, Link sat atop Spirit, feeling awkward once again, as what seemed like the entire village turned out to see him off. He was dressed in his new tunic, which fit far better than the old shirt and trousers he'd been wearing earlier. He was grateful to find the new pieces of armor had a place for his shield on his back, and he was able to strap his new bow to the saddle as well. All in all, he expected that traveling would prove easier now than it had been. He looked back towards Zimpa and saw her give a small nod. Next to her, Paya waved before blushing and clasping her hands against her chest. Nodding in return, Link fixed his eyes forward and spurred Spirit into motion, riding out in front of Telm's cart. He tried to ignore the calls of encouragement from the gathered Sheikah as he rode out, and was quite grateful when they entered the pass, leaving the village behind. The ride back to the Dueling Peak stable 
went by peacefully. They stopped for lunch and to rest the horses in the afternoon, after they cleared the pass leading away from Kakarika village. After lunch, they got back onto the road, though Link scouted the road ahead of Telma. Thankfully, no bow coblins accosted them on this trip, and they made their way back to the stable by the time the sun had fallen behind the dueling peaks, plunging the valley into shadow. By the time they got back, it was clear that the horses were feeling exhausted from two days of riding such distances. Telma offered to pay to board and feed Link's horse for the night, which he gratefully accepted. She had also helped him determine how much each of the colored gems in his bag was worth, so he was able to pay for a bed without embarrassing himself. Not wishing to be interrogated by any other old guards, or to hear Telma telling of his exploits to anyone who would listen after she bought some drinks, he took his meal back to the room that housed his bed. The day's riding had left him sore and weary, and he was eager to get some rest. Rest did not come easily that night, however, plagued as he was with thoughts of his past failure. It didn't seem right that he should feel such shame for an event that he had no memory of, yet it was inescapable. So many people had already placed such faith in him, even waiting for one hundred years for his return, and he felt no true confidence that he could succeed. But how could he tell them that? He would try, of course. How could he not? But deep down, he felt certain his journey would end in failure. He awoke with a start when he heard a cuckoo crow outside. Early dawn light had begun to filter in through the window slats in his room, and he saw that several of the other beds were still occupied by sleeping men, who would likely be nursing hangovers when they woke. Moving as silently as he could, Link rose and gathered up his belongings. When he reached the large dining room, he found that he wasn't the only one awake, but those that were awake did not seem very keen on talking. He was perfectly fine with this, and made his way up to the counter in the center of the room. He paid for a breakfast of eggs, sausage, and cheese, and requested that spirit be prepared for his departure. After eating his breakfast, he stepped out into the cool morning air, and was surprised to see Telma already inspecting her goods for departure, along with another man that he assumed to be her normal guard. Already hurrying out, she said when she saw him. He nodded, and she smiled. Telma stepped over to him, placing a hand around his shoulder, leading him away from her guard. I know you've got a long journey ahead of you. Know that I have said nothing of who you truly are. I'm quite capable of keeping a secret. He felt an immense relief at these words, and thanked her. At least he would not have to worry about feeling those eyes upon him as he was leaving the stable. Link, she stopped and turned towards him, with a grave expression on her face. I don't know everything that Impa told you, but you are the master of your destiny. I can't imagine what it must be like to be in your position, and the pressure you are feeling is probably overwhelming. I certainly wouldn't blame you if you decided to take a different path. He met her eyes and then looked down. If not me, then who? She squeezed his shoulder firmly. I don't know, but we've survived this long. I'm sure we will find a way to survive still. Survive? Was this surviving? The last of the Hylians seemed to occupy a small corner of Hyrule, as did each of the other races from what Link had been able to gather. In the meantime, the largest, luscious portion of the nation was slowly being taken over by malicious forces, and those forces were expanding. He took a deep breath, hardening his resolve and met the woman's eyes again. Thank you, but 
I don't think I could forgive myself for turning my back now. I was given a second chance. I'll do what I can. Telma smiled warmly, and he could tell she was pleased with the answer. Good man. She patted his shoulder heavily. Take care of yourself, Link. I'm sure that we will cross paths again someday in the future. They parted ways after that. Telma headed west, explaining that the only road leading to the Zora's domain passable by cart was on the other side of the Dueling Peaks. He expressed concern over her journey, but she waved it off and told him that the road was still fairly secure to ensure trade did not falter. Her tone had an edge to it, though, that suggested she was still concerned. The road to the Sheikah village was supposed to be kept safe as well. Link, meanwhile, rode north on the road until it forked to the east. The eastern road winded around to the north side of the large, swampy field, where Link had seen the ruins and guardians the day before. Spirit seemed to be well-rested, and Link allowed him to alternate between walking and trotting. As a result, he made fairly good time, moving at quicker pace than he'd been able to while traveling alongside Telma's cart. He stopped to rest around midday, when the sun was overhead. He sat down with his back against a large broken stump next to the road, and ate a meal of dried fruit and carrots. After he finished, he removed his Sheikah Slate. Impa had told him that the princess had attempted to prepare the Sheikah Slate in such a way that she hoped it would spark some memories. What exactly had she meant by that? He examined the icons available on the screen, considering them. Finally, he sighed and rose wincing. He wasn't sure of how he traveled 100 years ago, but it was clear that his body now was not used to traveling so much in the saddle. After two days of horse travel, his legs and backside ached. With Hatano being another two days away, he sincerely hoped to be able to stay there at least a few days before getting back on the road. He looked over at Spirit, who placidly ate some grass and decided that the horse would be fine for a few minutes. He stepped further away and lifted the Sheikah slate, inspecting it. Finally, he pressed the blue remote bomb rune. Again, the glowing blue ball appeared on the ground in front of him. Careful not to press the button a second time by accident, he knelt, inspecting the explosive device. He reached out with a hesitant finger, touching it, and found it to be quite solid. He placed the slate down on the ground and picked the bomb up, hefting it in his hands. It was not extremely heavy, but it had a definite weight to it. After turning it over in his hands for a few seconds, he looked down the hill he was standing on, making sure there were no people around, and threw it. The bomb sailed through the air and then hit the ground. It did not explode, but simply continued to roll down the hill, picking up speed as it went. Link picked back up the Sheikah slate and pressed the blue bomb rune again. Distantly, the bomb exploded in a flash of blue light and with an audible crack that rang out through the air. A flock of large birds nearby took flight, squawking angrily. Nearby on a rocky shelf, a horned mountain goat bayed, Spirit snorted anxiously. Where the bomb had been, there was now a black circle and scorched grass and earth. He decided that this rune would, in fact, be useful in certain situations, as long as he was very deliberate with its use. Otherwise, he would just be as likely to harm himself as anyone or anything else. Satisfied, Link hooked the Sheikah Slate back to his belt and gazed out at the field below. It had been a killing field. Dozens of broken guardians littered the area. Some of them were little more than their cylindric bodies, while others still had all six legs 
and looked ready to start moving again. Some had partially climbed onto pieces of broken buildings, while others lay on their sides, half covered by moss. What had happened here? Why had so many gathered in this place? And how had they all broken down? Neither the king nor Impa had mentioned how the guardians had been defeated. He felt slightly more hopeful at the thought. The last time that they had fought Ganon, they had to contend with these things, right? But if they'd been defeated, then Ganon would be lacking a very powerful weapon that he had before. He wasn't sure how much it was, but it was something. At least he hoped so. It was late in the afternoon when Link reached a massive stone wall, which he had been told was called Fort Atena. The closer he got to the fort, the more he began to dread his arrival. Guardians. Guardians were everywhere. They had clearly been to the point of climbing over each other to reach the fort, when whatever had destroyed them had been used. But even though they were inert now, the sheer number of them that had closed in on Fort Hateno were terrifying. He could only imagine what it must have been like for the defenders here as they watched dozens of the metal beasts crossing the marshy fields closing in. The fort itself didn't even look finished. While some sections of it were made of brick and mortar, other sections had been constructed of hastily placed stones and even wood, which had mostly rotted and collapsed in the last 100 years. The wall had been erected in the canyon between two sheer cliff faces and extended for several miles, even crossing a lazily flowing river to the south. Beyond the wall, the canyon continued, with cliffs, plateaus, bluffs, and even a distant mountain. Eager to get away from the mass of guardians, he rode Spirit under the rusted iron portcullis and into what appeared to be a peaceful forest. He glanced back through the fort's gate, still able to see several guardians that appeared to have been frozen in motion, much like Ling's stasis rune, froze objects in place. They would have destroyed this forest if they had gotten through. Shuddering, he fixed his gaze and continued on. He finally set up camp that night some distance past the fort. He had followed the river as it winded around and under a large bluff. Occasionally, he passed some other travelers on the road, who assured him that he was on the right path, but that he still had at least a full day's journey ahead of him. "'I don't know if I would camp here,' said one such traveler, an older man, as he rode past where Link had dismounted. "'They say restless spirits inhabit this place. Soldiers killed in an ancient war thousands of years ago.' He motioned across the road, to a break in the ridge, where a small valley had formed in the shadow of the rocky hills. Among the sparse trees and grass, Link could see the shapes of dozens of grave markers. Link thanked the man for his information, but made no indication of moving on. He was tired, as was Spirit. They had traveled enough for one day. The old man moved on, having said all he wanted to say, and Link continued making his camp. Later that night, as he made camp for a second time under the light of the moon and stars, he told himself that he hadn't seen shadowy figures moving among the grave markers, and he most definitely hadn't seen a pair of violet eyes staring out at him in the darkness. He ultimately camped near the place that the road to Hatano split. One path continued its easterly route, while the other led south, looping around a nearby lake. There was a Sheikah tower in the direction of his southerly path, but he decided to continue moving east in the morning. If he felt so inclined, he would activate the tower on his way back, assuming he could figure out what use they served. Perhaps this Pura would know better. As he made camp that night, using the supplies that Telma had given him to craft a simple lean-to, he was struck 
that this added companion of spirit still did not quite satisfy the sense in his heart that something was missing. Once again, he attempted to reach out to the princess, hoping for some kind of reply. She had spoken to him when he woke, several times. However, like before on the tower, he received no response. He truly hoped that her hesitance to speak now was not indicative of her own powers weakening. Dire thoughts of what would happen if he failed to complete his journey quickly enough plagued his thoughts as he fell asleep. <laughs>